What do rock stars, celebrities, and entrepreneurs have in common? They're having great conversations over coffee. This is Meet Me for Coffee. Welcome, Michael Fishman, to the show. If you don't know who he is, I'm sure you do. Uh, DJ Connor from Roseanne or the Connors, a uh, very successful show on TV in the, in the 90s and uh, today as well. Um, he's also been in, in Seinfeld in, in, the, in the midst of doing Roseanne. How's it going, man? It's, a, it's been a while, and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, everything's good. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I have a... a really lucky and blessed to work on a lot of great projects and uh, trying to continue that and trying to build some of my own. I think, I, I think one of your most famous lines in your whole acting career came from Seinfeld. Uh, can I get a triple uh, minute man mint please? That's what you asked. Uh, uh, was it Jason? James Spader. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I remember that. And uh, originally when I was like, Jimmy, Jimmy, I'm, I'm a huge Seinfeld buff. I have people from Seinfeld on the show as well. And uh, just, you know, minor actors here and there. And it's like, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. Because there's another Jimmy. There's a Jimmy that, uh, are you a fan of Seinfeld, by the way? Yeah, you know, and, and I was around that set because we worked on the same lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Because there was another episode where the guy named Jimmy who talked to, about himself in, in third person. So I was like, that wasn't him. Like, so I had to go back and I was like, okay. Because okay. I was like, that guy was too old. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, then I remembered and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, being on that set, did you audition for that role? Did you, that minor role or no? Yeah, actually I did. Um, and the director there actually uh, was a director last year, the year before, Andy Ackerman, when we first came onto the Connor, so two years ago. And, you know, it's one of those opportunities coming out off of doing the Roseanne show for so long, looking for that next thing. And it, it was a great opportunity. And, you know, James Spader was really kind of just blowing up, you know, and, yeah. and now he, he's looked at, I think, even in a bigger way than at the time. So it was a great opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Did you get to meet any of the uh, the cast on, on Seinfeld? Yeah, you know, I, I knew a lot of them in passing because, like I said, we worked on that same lot. And wow. so we were always kind of around each other. And I used to kind of bounce from set to set as a kid. I, I was always trying to, like, sneak into other sets and kind of get a lay of the land and how other people worked and get an idea of how production worked in other places. Any interesting stories, uh, you know, advice anyone from Seinfeld gave you? You know, it's interesting. They have such a... Um, kind of rhythm to the way they work yeah. together. And it was really interesting, even in like run throughs and, and rehearsals, they would kind of build this rhythm together. And, and that was fun to watch. They had a real dynamic that you don't see a lot is they, they really played in a great way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Jerry Stiller was probably one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, you know, just knowing the story and how he became uh, Frank Costanza, you know, the role and how it, how it all unfolded. And uh, that guy, you know, God rest his soul. And I hope he, he's found peace somewhere. Uh, right. Someone who will be very missed in the show, uh, the, the industry of showbiz. And it's, uh, it's very, very, he was, an, he was an old guy, obviously, but traumatic to see some guy who made us laugh so much move on. And, uh, you know, being in your shoes, um, what age were you when you first started doing Roseanne? So pretty much right around six years old is when I started. And, you know, it, it was six to 15. So, I mean, it's a big span of, of pretty formative years. Absolutely. And it must be so rewarding to have uh, it's still going on with the Connors now. Yeah, it's it's a really unique thing to be able to come back to that. You know, my 
my role in particular, DJ has the most change that has kind of occurred. So the nice part about that is he wasn't really totally defined because he was still a kid. So there was a lot of room to kind of adapt this character. And there was a lot of depth to add when it comes to like being a veteran and being in an interracial marriage and all of those dynamics that, you know, we were still looking to explore even more. Yeah, absolutely. And take it, take us back to the first, um, maybe the audition for that spot on Roseanne originally or your first episode, like were you nervous or how did that all happen? You know, my sister had wanted to like get commercials and try to pay for college, even when she was super young. And so she's one of those people who kind of plans her whole life. Oh yeah. And and so I started going with her to auditions and then people would ask you, you know, are you here to audition? And I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to try. So my parents like, sure. And it was 1988 and there was no work because there was one of the writer strikes and the audition for this show came up and my parents were like, no, 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 he can't do anything long-term. And the agent's like, no, they, they want somebody with a lot of experience. He'll never get it, but it'd be a good experience. Just let him go. And it was something different. You know, the first day I walked onto that lot, I walked up the stairs and met a young receptionist named Jeff Thomas, who's still friends with me today. And I just knew, I don't know. It was seven interviews spanning like six months. It was a big, long process and, you know, thousands of people. And it was a life changing thing. And for whatever reason, the moment after the first audition, I turned to my parents and like, so when do they call me about my job? And my parents were horrified. They didn't want you committing so long. They probably wanted you to go to school, right? Yeah. And they both worked full time. So they, they had no interest in me being in this business full time. And so you know, uh, fate intervened, you know, the universe laughs and, and, you know, you end up in this scenario where it's nine years of, of juggling schedules. I, I know your Halloween special was uh, something I really remember. There's a lot of episodes I really, I really, really can think of right now, but the Halloween special, uh, for me actually stands out a lot. Um, talk about working, uh, you, you actually venture behind the camera as well, doing directing, uh, writing, and producing. You're almost like a, a jack of all trades now. Uh, what, why do you want to work behind the camera um, as opposed to being in front of it? Well, I don't look at it as opposed to. I think okay. the thing for me, in the interim, when I was between acting and things, I worked behind the scenes to stay in the business and, and to kind of build my repertoire of what I knew. So I've worked in pretty much every department. Wow. Uh, I've stayed out of wardrobe and I've stayed out of hair and makeup because I'm not qualified for either of those. Got but <laughs> uh, electrical props, set dressing, set design, uh, all of the other departments I've been in. You know, on the directing side, you get to steer things. Um, You get to help shape the technical side of things and highlight things and get the most out of other people, which I think being a former like baseball player and being a coach and a team guy, I love that aspect of the collaboration and bringing out the best in other people. The writer in me wants to tell stories that largely are from underrepresented and, and largely overlooked points of view. And so diversity and inclusion is such a big deal for me. And you can talk about it all you want, but unless you're making projects where there are real roles and a story is strong enough that you can get through the gate and open these doors, you don't see it enough. And so, and it's not, you know, you hear it in lip service from a lot of people and it's it's a big buzzword thing now, but for me, it's my family. It's personal. Um, My dad's an immigrant and he was born in China and grew up in Israel and then came to the United States. He's a military veteran. 
And then on top of that, I have two biological children from my previous marriage. And then a couple of years ago, at the end of that marriage, I kind of stepped into a father role with two other kids. And we are a really blended, you know, uh, multiracial, multi-denominational, complex family. And I was in this really beautiful interracial relationship. And like, I want all these dynamics. I want to see families like mine in production. And as a performer, you get the opportunities that fit your physique, your, your character or what people perceive you as. Yeah. And that's what I want to see. I want to see some interracial uh, families in production as well on, on the screen, because it seems that either like you're, you're black, black family or white, you know, white family. It's, that's not true to today's, you know, how it, how it rolls today. Right. Um, you know, that's really cool, man. Uh, bringing like you write for the Connors as well. And well, I, I, I pitched stuff there. I haven't really written on the Connors. I wrote some stuff back in the day in the Roseanne thing, the bits and pieces that got used. And I, I was really wow. lucky in that way on the Connors. I don't have any control over storyline. I've pitched some storylines. I wrote some, some script ideas, but we have a really good writing staff and they can, they're amazing. They can cover anything and do it with humor. For me, I want to dive into more of those military stories. And so I wrote a show about a military family and I want to dive into what my life looked like being in an interracial marriage, basically in this kind of diverse world where there's these social awarenesses and, and some places you're accepted, some places there's limitations. And then also the dynamics and the culture clash from time to time. And there's a lot of humor and joy and wonderful things there, but we just don't see enough of what real families look like. Cause I don't think any family is one thing anymore. Yeah. So, so what, what do you think is stopping, you know, Hollywood and, and, and all these TV series from showing interracial marriages or interracial families uh, more often? I don't think it's anything. I don't want to look at it as stopping it. My job is to make it. I think yeah, maybe yeah. it's been underutilized and underappreciated is, is the way I'm going to look at it. And the way I look at it is, Maybe the people who came before didn't get the opportunity. My job now is to make sure those opportunities exist and that we make the most of them, that we tell stories that appeal to everybody. Because I think the truth is about an interracial relationship is it's like so many other relationships, right? It has all the dynamics and all the complexities. And I think that's the part. I think sometimes we try so hard to put things in a box as not just our business, but as a world, as a country, like this is this group and this is that group. And I'm, I'm not a classification of people kind of person. So I think it's where we find these universal stories. And I think that's the core of Roseanne that did really reach people. And even Seinfeld, like these everyday stories that you just enjoyed, right? It wasn't about what the people look like or their backgrounds. Occasionally they got into their backgrounds and how it informed their perspective. Yeah. But that's where we are. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very inspiring to hear you talk like that because uh, I feel like that there really does need to be more, um, more of that on the silver screen and um, obviously be, have it more pumped out, right? It's, uh, it, like it's more normal now right. than it's ever been, right? It, it is. And it's, it's kind of more the norm than not. And the truth about it is, you know, if you come into a family and it doesn't matter really what you look like so much as the reality of family dynamics are always different. And it's always a bit of a culture clash. Anybody who's ever been in a relationship knows their family and your family may not have a lot in common or may look 
completely different and have everything in common because of core values or beliefs. So for me, I think the biggest part of it is there haven't been enough people who have been fighting that battle, but the ones who have haven't had the opportunity of representation. And I think the other part of it is being bold enough to say, look, this is us. This is what our family looks like. This is what we are. And it's not the only thing we are, but let me show you how it informs us and the experiences we're having. Yeah. This, this is real, right? This is real life. This is our experience. This is a real true story um, about our family. This is how things work, how, you know, we disagree, how we get along, we, how we move on, how we work together. um, And, you know what? We're an interracial family, whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. Right. Um, let's talk and we about love each other. I think that's the core, right? That, that you love each other and you love learning from each other. I think that's the most beautiful part is there's so many things you can learn from each other in any relationship, but I don't know. I was in a really beautiful interracial relationship that was like so expansive for me and so loving and positive and, and my kids have brought all of these different dynamics. You know, I have, I have an athlete, I have kind of the school kid, I have, you know, a real artist, you know, these are all these things. Kids are different too. And I think that's something we don't tackle enough on TV is just the, the complexity of what it's like to grow up. The complexity of raising a child as well is uh, something that hasn't been like really, really covered because I'm raising girls, I'm raising a boy. Uh, it's very, very hard. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, in, in my, my, my perspective now, I'm a stepfather to two girls and yeah. I'm raising a boy that's biologically mine, right? So, um, you know, raising girls, showing them the way, um, being that person who comes in their life and, and helps raise them and show them values and tries to be cool at the same time. And, and those are struggles that a lot of people, like, um, they know exactly what I'm talking about right now, right? It's oh, like, 100%. My, my writing partner... You know, we all come from these very blended families, I think now is one of the things about our world. So my writing partner has such a, a, a varied background. And between the two of us, we've fallen into so many different categories over the years, had so many different jobs. So we have so much to pull from. But it's also being open, like being a stepdad, that's a whole role that, that I don't think also gets covered enough. It's, it's not, we've done the nuclear family so much that we've kind of missed all of the real framework of what families look like today is they come in every different size, shape, demographic, and, and kind of background. And then you have to find the places where you fit. And I always joke as a parent, as a dad, I got two daughters, two sons. I mess it up a lot and I just yeah. I try to own, own it. And you try to be cool at times, but you're also trying to walk that line of values and morals and, and, being a parental figure. Absolutely. It's super hard. Uh, you know, being a, a person, you know, it, for me as a guy who was on the outside, who's now on the inside, but still kind of scaling the wall, um, trying to break that barrier to get in there and, and help them. I, obviously I have, I can see the difference, but it's so challenging, man. It's so challenging. It's so hard. I, there's something special about someone who loves a child they didn't make who comes into their life at a different point and learns to love them for who they are now and helps them grow. You know, my, my former partner was so great at that, especially with my daughter in particular. Um, 
she gave her things that I could have never given her. And there's nothing wrong with me acknowledging that. And I, I look at that and it's so important. And like you, you know, you provide a structure for your daughters that you have to be that that person. And it's a challenge because you, you do come from the outside and, and there are moments where they give you the look or like, you know, they might not want to hear it from you. And sometimes they do need to hear it from you and they need to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I fully agree with that. I mean, you know, like raising children and then, and then being that, that, that role model that they, they need, obviously you want to be cool. Like we talked about and sometimes it goes off the wrong way. And, uh, <laughs> Because you're just trying to to make sure. I, actually, someone told me, because like, when I first got into this, right, they're like, you know what, uh, ra- raising a stepchild or someone a child that's not yours, um, if you're one of those people who are doing that, you're a, re- a real man. Someone told me. Oh, uh, you are. And uh, you know, <laughs> I thought that was a bit of a joke at the beginning, but it's like, you know what. Um, so I'm not a kind of guy to be like all full of myself. Right. And, right. I, and I thought about it. It's like, you know what? I, I have love for these children. I, I love these kids, man. And uh, I, I come home every day and I see them and I talk to them and we hang out, we have memories and, and you build that. Right. And you build the relationship. And like, just now I was, um, just chilling out, just picking out on their Halloween candy and they're getting mad at me, but like, that's, it's, it's fun. Right. Because, you know, we are family, those blended families, they happen. Right. And that's something that we need to accept as, as a society, uh, mainly because we don't see a lot of that, right? We see them on like these Disney shows once in a while, but we don't really see it on, a, on like a permanent uh, big television series uh, as much as we should. Because I, I think sometimes we promote as a media the wrong things to show people. Yeah. We be showing uh, children and, and viewers the exact thing that we should be showing them, right? And that's the blend of families, the interracial families, um, you know, maybe the, the the family that has, you know, two dads or whatever, like stuff that's normal, right? The normal stuff. Um, you know, m- many people don't agree with what I just said, but that stuff's actually happening now. And Well, I would say, if you'll let me, is my job as the writer is to make that story so compelling that you're not worried about maybe an objection you might have had if you came across it out in the world because that's how I can help you see the world a little better and a little clearer is maybe it is a same-sex couple. And I I have a lot of friends who are same-sex couples working in this business. Those dynamics, you know, we have a couple of shows where we, we really have tried really hard to focus on aspects of that. And the truth is stepping in as a parent is stepping in as a parent. The pressures that you go through as a parent, whether you be a step parent, whether it be a same sex couple, uh, you know, uh, heterosexual couple, whatever it is, right? Regardless of race, regardless of even, you know, we do a lot of stuff with um, disabilities and, and certain jobs, right? Like we're all so much more than the categories we fit into. And I think that's one of the things my job as a writer is to give you compelling, authentic stories that that kind of go past that. And hopefully you come and if you have a hesitation or someone tells you, you got to check out this show, if I can make you laugh or make you feel in a drama, you will open your mind a little. And I think that's part of it, too, is that's where we come together, because what we really need to do as a country, as a world is be more united 
find the inclusion. You know, inclusion is such a huge thing for me that what we need to do most is find out where we're together and where our shared things and then laugh at ourselves and each other at times and not take everything so seriously. And that's something that I really liked about like the show called the Goldbergs. Like it was almost like my family or, you know, F is for family off Netflix. Like that was, that was my family growing up. And you know, it's like, there's so much relatable things out there, but you just got to look for it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we have to make it, you know, we have fallen into a very traditional standpoint for what families look like. And we're starting to expand that, you know, in our production company in particular, is really, you know, um, inclusive. We're trying so hard to bridge out and to just tell real stories. And we don't set out, oh, this is our agenda. What we set out with is, okay, this is a group or an environment or people we know we're in this thing. And then how do we find those similar places where the whole world can kind of come together around these things and then have a really authentic, honest experiences and conversations? Absolutely. So how do you know that your, your message got across properly? Well, feedback, you know, I mean, that's one of those things you're going to get critiqued. So you better come with some thick skin and, you know, my case, it's easy because I've spent my whole life taking notes. So, and people will critique, but what you really get is it's conversation. You know, I, I engage with people on social media. It's when people come to you and say, man, that was my family or, you know, I've never told anybody this, but it was so hard for me to deal with this as a kid. Thank you for showing that or thank you for speaking up in that way. I think what happens is so often people are afraid to stand out and they're afraid of feedback. And for me, I'm on the other side. Give me all the notes. Like if you're a network, if you're a partner, if you're someone I'm working with and even fans, tell me what you want to see. Tell me what you like as far as what you think is missing in, in your enjoyment. Because to me, I just their ideas and I get excited about, Oh, okay. Well, I haven't looked at that enough or who else do I know who's in that category? And can we have these conversations, right? Like you and I could talk about what it's like to step in as a parent, right? Like my ex partner stepped in and I, I found myself looking at the world in a different way, right? Looking through her eyes and listening to her stories and, you know, even subtle things, you know, you, you go to events with your kids, right? And sometimes people, call you the stepdad as opposed to just calling you you're there as the dad right you're there in this role and people put labels on it or limitations or act like you may not totally understand or may not be completely committed and that's like no i'm here i'm all in am i wrong you're not wrong right being being a father you know whether or not you are their father actually um my friend he told me that he was raised by his stepfather right and he said, just because the man, the, the child's not your father, doesn't uh, the child's father is someone else and not you, doesn't mean that you're not their father, right? He's like, I was raised by my my stepfather, and I consider that guy to be my father. So yeah. things, things do change, right? It's different. And and here's what I would say is, I think it's natural historically that people put such a a strong point of emphasis on DNA, right? Especially in the old days where we lived in a lot of places that had monarchies and hierarchies and blood was a defining thing for power, right? The truth is now your family are the people who show up when you need them the most and who care for each other and are there for each other. And it's not the DNA family that most people have. It's awesome if your family is that way. 
but most of us have extended family. You know, my writing partner is basically an uncle to my kids. And in an emergency situation, he's one of the first people that they would call. And that has nothing to do with DNA. That has to do with character. And I think that's what we really have to start diving in. And my hope in the shows that we write, and, and I hope this resonates with you, is the story should be who loves the people and is working to help and be involved as opposed to what are their titles or their classifications or, you know, how did they get here? Yeah. And finally, I want to ask you, um, being on the set of the Connors, um, you know, you guys obviously got rid of Roseanne. Um, how, how was it weird being on set without her after, um, you know, having all those memories with her? Well, you know, the thing about it is you don't ever replace someone like that. And that's, the, that's, and we never even thought of, of even in storylines of trying to, we all care for her. We'll always care for her. And we, I think every person in the world has had an experience in their life where they've loved somebody who has said or done something that you necessarily don't agree with. It doesn't mean you forget all the good things. And I don't think any of our fans have forgotten those things. Yeah. One of the things for us, you know, it was a real question for me about coming back because I have such incredible loyalty to her. But there are two things that really made it easy for me was one, she gave her blessing for the show to continue. And the second was all of our fans had come back and we have this legacy. And I didn't want the legacy to end on a dark, clouded moment when we could say so much more and help bring people back together. So we could have left it in a divisive way, or we could all step up and risk maybe people feeling strange about it, but try to find a way to continue and bring together and continue that legacy so that it can live on for people who enjoy it. And you got such an awesome cast too, like John Goodman, like that guy has the most one of the most powerful voices yes. I've ever heard. And I hope that he actually sounds you know, like that in person when you talk, talk to him, because like uh, that guy is such a legend. And, and you know what, when that, I was listening to uh, some stuff that Sean Connery was saying the other day and I was like, Hey, this guy passed. He, he, he left a humongous mark on the film industry and, and mm-hmm. John Goodman and Roseanne will be one of those people as well, because they're, they're humongous legends, man. And, um, 19, 19- 88 is when you, you first did your first episode, 2020, the year is now. We're not in the best situation with this pandemic and elections and all that stuff we don't want to talk about anymore. But how does it feel to still be doing this in 2020, man? Well, I work, I really do work with legends and, and not just in front of the camera, behind the camera. I mean, our, our crew, there's members of our, our crew who have been here the whole time. I work with some of the best in the business. And, you know, you look at, John and Roseanne, as you mentioned, but also Lori is a legend. And yeah. Sarah has become this dynamic force of creating production. And my job is to kind of step into that role as well and to leave a legacy. But it, it, it has to be bigger than just on the screen, right? It has to be, how many people do you help? How much do you progress things in your time? And also, what is the legacy that you leave behind of people you helped or helped lift up along that way. Are you guys very tight knit off, off the air? And, um, do you guys hang out? Do you guys get together when you guys are on set? Is, it, is this a very tight knit cast? It's funny. We're such a professional cast and a lot of people in our group are pretty mellow and kind of quiet off screen. They save their big moments for in front. So 
I always kept in contact with everybody. I was kind of the guy who, who was the through line, but it also depends on when, when we're working and where we're working. Cause as actors, you're not working on a set project. We kind of go off in all different directions. We come back. It's like having those close friends that you've known forever. You can go away for a little while. And when you come back, you just still fit, right? Like you just fall right back into it. So we're very close in that way. And the COVID-19 thing on set, we're so aware of each other and aware of each other's preferences and trying to really honor that and protect each other and take care of each other. I think, you know, this is also kind of highlighted how well we know each other. Well, going back on that set after many years, it must have been really surreal for you to step back into that, that, uh, that set, the, the, the house, right? I mean, crazy, eerie, uh, surreal. Like that, they're not, there aren't words good enough to explain what that's like. Cause you know, it's funny, the little things like growing up as a kid there and leaving as a teenager, I remember it took me like five years to be able to jump and touch the archway between the living room and the kitchen. Like, you know, as a kid, you just want to be able, and you know, John would walk past it and basically go like this, right? Like you didn't have to reach up. So as a kid, you're always like, you kind of gauge yourself that way. So to walk in as an adult and be like, you know, it's, it's little things, I guess, like walking into your, wherever you spent the majority of your childhood or going back to the school you went to, there's all of these memories that flood back and this connection to a place. And then now this year to get to direct in that space is knowing all the angles and knowing what you want to highlight and, and coming full circle with this group of people who it's like directing your parents and your siblings, you know, all of that together has been such a magical experience. Unreal. Like it's so great to speak with you, Michael. And I got one more question for you, man. It's meet me for coffee. How do you take okay. your coffee? What was that? How do you take your coffee? You know, it's funny. I actually don't drink coffee. I'm a purist. I only drink water for the most part. Only water, right? No, yeah. no beer, nothing, just water. Pretty much. I'm just a water guy. Every once in a while I have some juice, but like I, and green tea or something like that from time to time. But for the most part, it, it's a taste thing. Uh, I grew up with water always available at work. And so it's just kind of always been my thing. That's, that's so cool, man. Like speaking with you after all these years and, and uh, getting to catch up with you. I hope we do this again soon, man. Um, anything you want to say to your fans? Uh, one last word. Yeah. If anybody wants to come communicate with me, you can always look me up at real M Fishman, uh, all the social medias, or if you want to see what it looks like for some of these jobs behind the scenes, I do a, a show called fish's call sheet. That's on YouTube, but more than anything, be kind to each other. Uh, fight, to see where we come together and be inclusive and kind.